Welcome to Talking Art Ranching. My name is Alistair Field. And I'm Craig Smith. You've dropped into our current topic series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. We are stepping back into our interview session and we have a working title of Remote, COVID, and the Future. Before we introduce our guest, we just want to bring anyone up to speed who has just dropped in. Greg and I have been friends for a long time and we have been working a lot over the last two weeks. And I was looking over my calendar and I think I have almost been working exclusively for Greg. And I don't think I have been able to get anything else done. He has been a little bit high maintenance and has got a lot going on, which I think will come out in this podcast. We are in a big creative space and things are going really, really well. We have both been managers for a long time. We have talked throughout this podcast how we and others as managers have missed the mark and how we have learned from others as mentors and have been thankful for that. And we have benefited from others pulling up a seat to the table at the diner from time to time to share their wisdom and experience to assist us and those listening to learn about certain topics. And I think we're going to have a really good discussion today, Greg. Oh, yes. I, we're, I, we're excited. We were saying a little bit earlier that, uh, uh, well, maybe we're not quite fanboys of Mike, but uh, he both, his, his, his insights have helped both of us in our journey to uh, working remote and working from home. So this is uh, exciting to be able to have a chat. And today we are welcoming Michael Gutman to the show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Really glad to be here. We have figured out that all of us at one time live near the mountains. And although both Greg and I live in Oakville, where the land is flat and we can't see any mountains anywhere, and it's bringing back some memories. Mike, I'm going to set this up and give some people some history about yourself. Michael is a remote work consultant and educator, marketing, and business strategist. You are a LinkedIn author, and that's when I came to know you. A year ago, just before we got sent home and just before I retired, I had never worked from home and the prospect was a little daunting. I had always been a mobile worker in a car or in an office with a group of people doing investigations. I had a LinkedIn account and I went into LinkedIn Learning and I am a graduate of not only your Remote Working Foundations course, but your more recent offering, Level Up Your Remote Team Experience course. So you are my professor, and I'm not sure that's a good thing for you to go around saying you're my professor, because if I go back to grade 13, perhaps, I think I skipped at like 65% of my classes, so I'm probably not the ideal student to promote your courses, but I found those courses fantastic. You've worked for a bunch of people, Flex Jobs, Swiggle, Reach for the Future, Elemental, LED, and so much more. And in doing some research on you, I of course found an emphasis on remote working but also on customer experience, sustainable living, and what I really liked was corporate social responsibility. So that gives people a little taste of who you are. So thank you for coming on the show and welcome, Michael. Happy to be here. If you want to refer to me as my professor throughout this interview, you know, you're, you're welcome to. Whatever's comfortable for you. <laughs> Is sir too formula, form, uh, formal, sir? I think, uh, yeah. I, I think so. We keep it okay. casual here. We're in the, we're in the safety right. of the nest. I, I was just worried where it was, you know, it was going, you know, it's get, it getting quite formal and, uh, you know, that's, that's good. <laughs> well, well, Mike, we're, we're, we're so great to uh, have you join us. And uh, um, I, I just curious because again, as I said earlier, that uh, when I was transitioning from mostly office work to homework, uh, I, uh, I, I, I came across you as well. And some of your insights, tips, 
uh, learnings were really powerful for me in helping that transition. But I just be, begin curious just to understand, how did you find yourself into this space? You were kind of ahead of the curve, uh, actually, um, for most of us, which now we've obviously all moved to this space of remote. But what, what got you started in this area? Sure. So number one, um, I got started when I had a job that I knew could be compatible with more work flexibility. So an office job looking at a computer screen all day, basically. And, you know, remote work is just one type of work flexibility, right? You can have flexible schedules and, you know, the, it really kind of runs the gamut. Um, however, the inspiration or muse that led me to really explore this was after I read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. And so I started to really appreciate that my efficiency should be working for me. I shouldn't have to have my butt in a seat all day just because that's the office culture. If I can get all my stuff done, I should have room to do whatever else I want to make room for in my life. And that is the theme of the book, essentially, work smart, and then you free up time to do even more. And so at that time... Um, I was working in digital marketing, and I was actually transitioning away from one company and moving to an agency. And during that time, I was going to continue to consult for the company that I was leaving, and the agency that I was working for was an hour away. I was living in San Francisco, and they were an hour away in Silicon Valley, an hour and a half with bad traffic. And I was managing a remote team based in India at the same time. So I'd have calls in the morning about 9 a.m. and then calls in the evening at 9 p.m. to consult with our team. So the very nature of having odd hours and also trying to escape being stuck in traffic when I could otherwise spend that time being productive, I negotiated work flexibility with the agency while also negotiating my remote work experience as a consultant for my previous company. And from then on, I recognized that I loved that flexibility to be able to work on my terms, have a say in how and where I get work done so I can be the best version of myself in my career and for my personal life. Wow, that's awesome. I love Tim Ferriss. I get his five points uh, bullets every Friday. Always am inspired by the people he's talking to, his quotes, even his music. You know, he's he's such a, a an interesting person. Uh, person and I remember reading that book too and thinking wow like I actually probably thinking this doesn't seem realistic and then diving deeper and and now where we are today everything is possible um, I've been talking with a lot of uh, clients and people that I work with that uh, one guy I worked uh, I talked with last week he, his whole company is built on remote he's a kind of a tech and he said it's amazing because from a customer service perspective people can be anywhere and provide 24-7 support and I love the idea of this balance and this this uh, ability to really um uh, create uh, your uh, space for your broader self um, to be able to live your life fully um, and move it forward in a, in a whole different way. You know, I think a lot of people have this experience. I know my father did who worked in kind of corporate, the corporate world, which is you have to sacrifice your family if you want to advance in your career, or you have to sacrifice your career if you want to advance and invest in your family. And I call BS right? Because there's no reason why you can't do both. And if you're transparent with all the different stakeholders in your life about what you want to achieve, and then you can make sure that you can be there for any responsibilities that you need to be there for, goals, events with your family, whatever they are, 
then it becomes a conversation that's flexible and fluid. And if we can invest in choice for the individual, remote work is a piece of that choice. And I think that's my, my vision, my hope for the future is that we can trust the people that we hire. We hire them in the first place. There's a reason why we hire them. We should trust them to be able to do a job. And we should be able to trust that, hey, if I help this person invest in their personal life, that's going to pay off uh, dividends in their career. And they're going to want to actually do more for me as, a, as an employer. Yeah, and, you, and we know that when we're, you know, I, the, I read a book years ago, it's called The Powerful Engagement uh, by Schwartz and Laura. I don't know if you know that book, but it's powerful because it talks about energy. It talks about your, the mental, physical, uh, emotional, and spiritual energy, and we need to invest in all of those. And, and giving this flexibility um, creates greater uh, opportunities for each person to invest in that energy, which actually then results in you being a much more, a powerful contributor to the, the organizations and the communities that you're a part of. So I'm with you 100%. I think that that's such a, uh, a gift. And I think many organizations are starting to see that almost they've been forced to see it. Um, you know, early days, there was, I think Best Buy was one of the ones that introduced row, you know, results based uh, um, uh, work and uh, how, you know, pe some people are really, really effective first thing in the morning. Some people are really effective from eight. I've, I've got people now that I know of that are parents and the only time they can really work because their kids are, are having online school is after they go to sleep. So their most impactful work is from eight o'clock at night until 12 o'clock, but they're, it's focused, it's concentrated and it's making a big impact. Yeah, why we why we decided to, you know, shove everybody into the shoebox of, you know, nine to five or eight to six or whatever, you know, the expectation is of working more and more hours these days. Um, you know, when we want to inspire creativity, I remember reading an article about when Einstein did his best work or Da Vinci or any of these innovators, it's all over the map. And if you don't create an environment where you're allowing people to tell you when they're going to be their best versus trying to shove them in you know, so that they're going to go out to lunch and be tired for, you know, two hours afterwards and not do great work. Why would you force that on somebody? Yeah, uh, yeah, it, I, I agree. I agree 100%. That's for sure. I think just touching on that, I think that it is interesting now that I've been home for almost a year doing a variety of things. I find that in 45 minutes at home, shut in a room with no distractions, I get more done than three or four hours in an office environment with all the distractions and all the things with random availability of just walking by my desk or office. And I think this is just a different way to work. And I have been one of those guys stuck in an office with huge groups of people. And it's been an enlightening year this year. Well, the cat is out of the bag, right? If you're an employer, now you've just had to go remote. Let's think of back before the pandemic hit and before remote work was thrust upon us, uh, whether it was something that companies wanted to do or employees wanted, it was something that was on the rise and the demand was coming from the employee. The employee wanted to have work flexibility. They wanted to say, they wanted choice. And employers said, mm, I actually don't know how to manage that. And they were investing in training for managers to be able to manage remote employees or have results-based performance metrics so that they could look at uh, output versus input, right? Butts and seats does not equal productivity. And so employees were struggling to get this type of work flexibility. It was growing, but not growing at a clip that I think employees wanted. 
Now, everyone's got a taste and employers are in a position where they have to ask themselves, am I going to take this away? Imagine if I gave each of you a $10,000 raise and then a year later I said, nah, actually, just kidding. I'm going to take that back. You'd be pissed. And so employers are grappling with that decision right now. Uh, we've, we've made this work to some degree. We've got some kinks. Offices are going to open up. How do we take the best of what's working with remote work and the best of what we had in the office and combine that into a hybrid model? And this is new territory for a lot of businesses right now. And that's some of the work that I do, helping businesses navigate that. You just talked about the elephant in the room. We are in the middle of COVID right now, and a lot of things have been thrust upon us. It's great that you are on our podcast, so let's get into some of the observations, experiences, and advice you can share about remote working and what this will look like when we get out of this. Yeah, I think there's a few perspectives. You know, I think businesses are trying to figure out where are they going to land. And if they're in a position where they're not willing to make a statement to their employees and, and firm up their position, then we live in this state of uncertainty. Uncertainty from a professional point of view and a personal point of view. And professionally, it means, hey, I don't know what my job is going to look like. Am I going to have that corner office that I used to have? Um, you know, what does career growth look for me and professional development look for me in this state, right? Has everything been on pause? From a personal standpoint, you're probably asking, if offices are opening up, am I going to be required to be in there? Do I need to get a commuter car, you know, invest in a commuter car? Can I get a pet if I'm going to be able to be at home and take care of this pet? Can I move and keep my job? And so if you don't wrap up your policies into some guidelines to help people make these decisions, you create a state of uncertainty and ultimately underlying anxiety, which is not a great place for businesses or employees to be in. So I think companies are right now trying to figure out how do they make a statement and make a claim of what the future is going to look like so they can eliminate that uncertainty, build some foundation for people to stand on and start making some decisions to look forward, and then wrap a policy and some guidelines so that people know the constraints that they're working within uh, so that they can satisfy their, you know, their needs um, at work and then understand the, the wiggle room they have to figure out how their personal lives will fit into that. It's interesting, Mike. There are two things that are coming out right now. One comes from within this podcast. We have an episode sitting in development and it's called The Office. It's about who gets an office. The office with the window, perhaps. And we haven't been able to do that episode because we are in a COVID situation. We aren't in the office. And in this podcast, there are a number of issues we can't talk about because we don't know what is going to happen when people go back and who wants to listen to us talking about an office. And the second thing I believe we talked about in another podcast is that there's a lot of uncertainty out there. And there are places like the province of Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada who are all over LinkedIn telling people that they are welcoming remote workers saying they have connectivity and house prices that are like significantly lower than in Toronto, Vancouver, or even perhaps Montreal. There are also a lot of communities in southwest Ontario who may have seen a decline in industry and farming and they're jumping on the bandwagon saying they have connectivity, that you can raise your kids in a nice smaller community. Interesting, the dynamics that we're starting to look at and uh, that we see playing on this idea of what we're going to look like when we come out because governments, whether it's city or provincial, and even some countries in the Caribbean are saying, listen, you can come and live here tax-free for a year because we have all sorts of empty hotel rooms, rentals, Airbnb. They're saying the internet is good, cell connection is good. 
it is interesting some of the forces in play right now. Yeah, I mean, let's think about the movement of people, right? We're seeing the flight from cities because people recognize, especially in a COVID world, that being stacked on top of each other in a pandemic is not the healthiest thing from a mental health and a physical health standpoint. But also, you don't have to pay all those extra, extra, you know, fees uh, and premiums for living in a city. Uh, you can look to somewhere where there's a higher quality of life, whatever that means for you. But I think there's something special and a really big opportunity when it comes to rural communities because, you know, they've seen, you know, a brain drain, a flight of the young who are leaving these rural communities and, you know, who may go off to college and never come back. And so I think for people who want to live closer to home and still have a job and a career that they want, you know, you're no, you're now talking about increasing the visibility of what those careers can be. And I've done some economic development work in rural communities across the U.S. And when you talk about mobility and being able to increase your plight in those areas, you look around you and you look around what industries are here, what businesses are here. Those are the opportunities. And a lot of these remote work opportunities were invisible to those communities. The pandemic is changing that. And again, my hope is that rural communities will be able to retain their, you know, their intellect by people staying there and growing there. And with workforce development programs investing in specific skills, people upskilling, my hope is that you get a lot more diversity of employers going to those rural communities, but never actually having to invest in an office there. And by that very nature, you're going to diversify the skill set in a lot of these communities and hopefully create, you know, uh, thriving, dynamic communities that people who want to stick around. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I too see that. I find it exciting to see, you know, some of those small little communities actually renewing. Um, and uh, I, I come from a place called Brantford, which is about, about an hour outside of Toronto, and it is on fire because people, you know, even if I have to come into work in Toronto, I can take the train in twice a week. I can, I can adapt myself for those connection points for, with others, or maybe we meet halfway in, in a new way of, of meeting. Um, Priya Parker does some really great work around gathering. I don't know if you know her stuff, but, you know, around how do we come together? And there's organizations thinking about, well, what do we need to come together? Where is the power of connection physically? Where don't we need to do it? And I'd love to just pick your brain a little bit about as a manager, what are the most important things or a leader uh, as you're thinking through these changes? Because I just love the complexity that you just threw out with regards to what's going on in the minds of, of all folks that are out there right now. There's so much choice. There's so many questions. There's so many shifts that are happening inside us. But as a leader, what are the most important things that, that a manager needs to be thinking about now as they're we're beginning to see a light towards the new quote normal, whatever that is. What, what, what advice or best practices are you, are you seeing? Well, let me ask you because you've been head of people mm -hmm. or people ops. Um, you know, if you had to manage now a remote team, what would that feel like for you as a manager, knowing that traditionally you've managed people in the office and you'd be able to have FaceTime with them. What are the things that you would be thinking about? 
Yeah, you know, well, for me, so first of all, I think it depends upon us individually. So I'm an extrovert. I love to connect with people. I love to be in person with people. Uh, uh, but but I but I am shifting, and I also understand I can do that in all kinds of different ways with regards to it. I've always been a more of a fluid leader. I remember. 20 years ago at Campbell's Soup, having a flexible work policy that said, man, if you can figure it out, the only thing I need you to do is, is make sure you deliver your own results, make sure you uh, meet the needs of the team that you work with and deliver the organization results and let's figure it out. So I'm more of a fluid kind of leader, always have been. So probably uh, I'm a little bit more flexible on, on how, but I do know folks that it's hard, man. I just don't know. Uh, I... And, and there is some lost stuff around just bumping into each other versus setting up a meeting on Zoom and, you know, there's the, the complexity. So I, I think it is hard for lots of folks uh, making that shift. You know, I, so I put it back on you, but there are certainly some very, you know, hard uh, best practices that other leaders can follow. And I think the, the buzzword comes back to intention. What do you want your office environment, your work environment, your work culture to look like? And if you have got a really strong understanding, and hopefully you do as an organization, of who you are, what you stand for, your values, then everything else aligns with who you are and what your values are. And if it's in a remote work setting, you know, some of the things that you might be feel fearful of as a manager is people slipping through the cracks. You can't see them. So, okay. What are you going to do in a remote work setting to make sure that they don't? Well, you know, geez, I've not talked to Sally in a long time. Maybe I should give her a call and check in. Well, shoot, maybe, I, you know, maybe I've overcorrected. Now I talk to Sally a lot more. So you can put things on your calendar to check in with all of the people and all the stakeholders that interact with your work. So you're making constant checkpoints with them along the way, whether just to be to shoot the breeze and maintain a personal relationship and rapport so that when you do get across, come across harder work conversations, you have the relationship to make that easy. That's just one of the ways. You know, another thing would be making sure that you are super aligned with and have an understanding of what your deliverables are and your metrics. Because in a remote work setting, you know, people might not speak up as often as they would in an office where they can see somebody and go tap them on the shoulder. If they're confused after a meeting about the direction things can go, they might just sit there staying confused without saying, actually, I don't know what the heck you were talking about. We need to jump back on another call so that I'm crystal clear of what's happening. You know, creating safe places for those moments to happen uh, and making sure that everyone's aligned on goals uh, makes management so much simpler because then your meetings and your weekly check-ins become, hey, you know your goals, you know what you have to do, how are you tracking towards them? And all those other things that, they, you know, that might be ambiguous are cleared up and the conversation changes uh, and it becomes easier. So I, I think those two things, making sure you stay connected, making sure everyone knows what they're responsible for and accountable for, for their goals uh, and have alignment um, are, are big and can actually help solve some underlying problems that you, you might be seeing. Yeah, you know, I love that. The thing that's really resonating for me, and we almost, at the cl close of almost all of our podcasts, uh, we talk about the importance of knowing your people. 
uh, and really, really knowing who they are and what they what they need and what they don't need, whether it's a situational leadership, the old model that's been around a long time, uh, but also more than that, uh, who are they? And and one of the beauties of COVID, we we've gotten to know each other a lot more because we've you know when the cat is walking across our head or the kid is sticking their face in the middle of saying, "Who is that?" You, we're getting to know each other a lot more, but. The knowing is so important. I read something this morning that said um, email communication has increased 72% and it's killing people um, in some organizations because it's all blanket stuff. But as a leader and a manager, if I know you, if I know Mike, this is what Mike needs. Uh, and, and getting to know how we communicate, what, what you, how you like to communicate, is it text, is it in person, how often, uh, and then center around those two things that you talked about, I think is that's a, a powerful aspect of, of, uh, of uh, what leaders can do. It begins by knowing and caring about your people. Yeah, you, I think you just pulled a play out of, my, out of my playbook. You must have seen one of my courses because I always recommend people set their communication preferences with each other, right? If you have an emergency right now, is email going to be the best thing with the subject line that says urgent? Or am I not going to see that for a few hours? Should you text me? Should you Slack me? Everyone has their own preferences. And if you can communicate what those are, just like you tell any app or social media platform what your communication preferences are, we do that with our coworkers. And then we're not going to piss someone off. Like this person just keeps emailing me and emailing me over the same thread and it's annoying and they never say anything. Speak up, be active about inviting to know other people more and what they like. And hopefully they'll be curious and invite that same with you. And then if everyone can on a specific team, you know, hopefully some teams have some autonomy to figure this out themselves, can figure out the way they want to communicate, then at least you have a baseline for not pissing people off. <laughs> I love that. And you know what? Uh, Alistair talked about the book that I, that, uh, I launched a mini ebook and my big, e my book is coming out in three weeks and it's called In Search of Safe, Brave Spaces. And, and part of the, the journey is about unlocking potential uh, by creating what I call safe, brave spaces, which is a, the combination of safe of creating that place where I can grow my confidence. I can reflect on who I am and what I bring. I can, I, and, and I'm ready to contribute. And then brave is kind of encouraging people to step up, step into something to, to bring their voice forward and that type of thing. So I, I've always believed that as a leader, if I can think about creating safe, brave spaces for my people, that is so important. But one thing that was jumping up with regards to the communication thing is the, the, uh, in the journey of safe, brave spaces, I says it starts within me me understanding myself, but equally understanding what are my biases, what are the things that are getting in the way. And that comes to communications as well, because if I just don't understand people who text and want that, because I enter everything with my filters as who I am. And so understanding what those biases or blockages or triggers that get me as a manager, I, I am managing different people with different experiences, different needs. And to your point, understanding what those are, even if they're not mine and knowing I might get annoyed because they don't do this. It, clarity of what I need is probably one of the most, most important things. And also understanding what's blocking me and getting in the way.
You know, I think there's a couple things to unpack there. One is when you ask people and you invite them, I like to use the analogy of the doorway. And this comes back to being safe and feeling brave, right? I might know that there's a door that I can knock on in order to, you know, have a voice at the table and make sure that I have representation. But if that door looks closed and doesn't look inviting, the chances of me knocking on it are going to be slim. Now imagine that door is open. Okay, a little better. Now imagine that door is open and there's a warm, friendly face inviting you to step through it. Now we're talking. Now we're talking about getting voices heard, making sure there's representation, learning who your people are. And I think from a practical standpoint, you know, like you mentioned, you're an extrovert. How many of us have sat in Zoom meetings with the extroverts has just taken over? And then you just sit back and like, well, that was exhausting. I didn't even have to say a freaking word. Um, and then, you know, I might have something to contribute afterwards if I'm an introvert. So creating spaces, acknowledging that you're an extrovert, acknowledging the introverts on the team, acknowledging the right brains versus the left brains, and knowing how people can interact, prevent the takeover from the people in power, whether it be the, you know, the extroverted white male who is in power. And in my last course, I talk about listening to the silence, listening for the silence. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got something to share. Everyone has something to add to the collective knowledge, to the discussion that's going to add value. And when you only get a select few voices representing the majority of the voices that are actually doing the talking, you're missing a huge opportunity of tapping into the potential of everyone else on your team. So listen for the silence, create an inviting doorway for them to walk through, and then you're going to get a much more diverse and I think profitable, uh, you know, profitable business. Yeah, I agree. You know, I always tell a story early in my career at Campbell Soup because I am a high energy creative guy and combine that with my my uh, extroversion. And so I would come into a room to your point and I uh, good intentions, great energy. And I would leave the room and I tell the story that once I came in with my team and I I left thinking I knocked that one out of the park. I got everybody. And this young woman, her name was Bijal, had only been working for me in a kind of a first level HR role, came to me and said, Greg, can I can I um can I talk to you for a second? So to your point, the door was open and she felt warm enough to come and say, but she'd been there two months. And she said, can I share something, an observation? She said, I love your energy. I think you're a wonderful person and you got a great vision for the forward. But do you recognize that when you go in like the way you do, half the people are spinning out of control after they leave? And I said, what? Because I always want to create a safe, brave space, I would, commitment. But but having that courage for her to come and tell me that, and so that was my first uh, understanding of the difference between intention and impact, and being aware of that impact. Who's in the room? Uh, how am I showing up? What am I trying to create? Getting back to your, what's my intention that behind this is is really quite powerful. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I really like some of the things that we have been pulling out here. It's interesting for the last year, I've been working uh, some contracts and uh, working in this creative space with Greg. One of the things I found that especially if I feel safe, one of the things I need from like Greg, uh, a boss or whoever I'm working with, there are times when I just want to pick up the phone. I don't know how many platforms we communicate on, but there are times when I just need to talk on the phone. With Greg and I, I find sometimes I just want to talk about this or whatever because I don't want to go back and forth with something that can be dealt with in like nine seconds on the phone. And I like have almost trained people that there are times when I just need to deal with something on a phone call to confirm that's the task or what the parameters are. 
uh, what you need. We talk a lot about managers, but as workers, as things roll out, we have a role to play. And I know myself that there are times when I need to be very direct with people and sometimes talking on whatever platform, well, I just want to have a conversation to sort things out. Sometimes it's just more efficient. Sometimes on an email you go, there's this attitude or is there some kind of motion? Is there an issue? But you can only test that or understand that if you have a conversation. I love what we are talking about, and this is a great opportunity for us, whether you are a manager, because managers have a boss, or as an employee, to take this opportunity to work out how we want or need to talk because we feel safe so we can clarify things and come across. So I'll push back on you a little bit, Alistair, because you mentioned, you know, you're going to pick up the phone saying we need to talk, but what you're communicating is I need to talk to you because that's the way that I prefer to communicate. I'm going to call you. And yes. the question becomes, does that person who you called, is that their way that they want to communicate? And a good way to level that playing field is to ask them, hey, I don't feel, I feel like uh, there's a few things that I want to discuss to go back and forth. Uh, would you be game for a phone call? Not that you have to ask permission or consent for every form of communication, but acknowledging that starts to train yourself in the relationship. So that if these moments start to come up where, you know, we've all been in a situation where we're texting with friends back and forth, or maybe you get that text from a friend, which we all hate of just like, so what's been going on? Like, don't text me that. We'll have a conversation and we'll have a dynamic conversation about what's going on to catch up. If you have a specific question for me, maybe I want to text at that point. Um, or if there's a miscommunication over email, like you mentioned, happens all the time, Right. My, my, my ability to inject sarcasm in the written word is a lot more difficult than when we're actually interacting. And, you know, I, I think clarity is an important piece to this because how many of us have sat after reading an email and stewed behind a computer screen because we, the email that we just read landed the wrong way. And then when we actually talk to the person, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't mean that at all. And so, being proactive is going to be the key word here. When you start to feel that way, let that be a cue. And it starts with being aware of your feelings. And if you can be aware of how these things are starting to make you feel, you can communicate that to somebody else and say, hey, this email made me feel this way. I don't know if that was your intention. Happy to have a conversation about it. And that, again, builds trust and comes back to creating this psychologically safe place. I agree 100%. I just love having a conversation every once in a while. I think it just grounds you. And when you feel so isolated at times, and despite our intention to be connected, I find that the phone call every once in a while just makes the situation better and grounds the relationships between me and the people I work with. Totally agree. And I teach about conflict resolution in a remote work environment. And, you know, it's escalation, right? when I feel my emotions start to escalate, that's when you go and track more towards human, you know, one-on-one -on -one contact versus digital contact, because I can't really feel you from an email or text. And if, if we need to level because I'm starting to get hot and, you know, we don't want to build resentment by letting that go and retreating into silence, then you need to escalate into a, just a, let's, let's nip this in the bud now and let's have a conversation. And I agree, having phone conversations or a Zoom call or just a walk and talk, remember those, uh, are so beneficial to keeping connectivity alive. 
One of the things I miss in the remote world is just one of those phone calls that are just to connect. There's no issue. Nothing's being escalated. I don't know how many other people feel, but sometimes it's just the connection I miss. Yeah, I mean, I read a quote that I love. I don't know who said it, but it is, you learn more about somebody in 15 minutes of play than you do in a whole week of work. And I love that because you're back on the playground, right? We all have that like joviality uh, within us of being able to play. And when you learn how somebody interacts and what that dynamic looks like, you get more of a sense for who they are. Um, and you get shown who they are versus told. And I think having those show moments of creating unstructured social conversation um, creates intention for bringing that out, which I think is huge. Yeah, I know there's a lot of, there's a number of folks that I know that have, have introduced and these became big at the start of COVID for sure, but introduced these uh, connections just with a topic maybe. So, you know, favorite movie and why, um, you know, or, or best, best vacation ever. Um, uh, and there are, there's, there's some really great simple questions that people can have dialogue around where you really, you, you create this fun. And again, you, you peel back the layers a little bit um, but even having those meetings that aren't about anything, they're not about deliverable about stuff. They are about just connections and about understanding each other. Um, they have, in some cases, can be very helpful. All right, Greg, favorite movie and why? Let's hear it. Well, you know what? The, the one that jumped in my mind is uh, Field of Dreams. Um, I, I, that, that one just jumps in why I, I just love the story. I love the aspect of, and, and the tag phrase, if you build it, they will come. It's kind of, I, you know, if you create the space, uh, people will open up. I don't know. It kind of links to what I believe. So that's the one that leapt into my mind. How about you? Shawshank Redemption all day. Oh yes. Why? And number one, you know, if I could have Morgan Freeman, you know, lull me to sleep and read me, you know, books before I went to bed every night, I would, I would. Um, but just that story uh, that, you know, you go through so many different levels of, um, of feelings of hope, I think, as you go through that story. And it just connects to my soul in a way that many other movies don't. And it's one movie that I can watch over and over and over again. And I love the redemption at the end, you just feel good afterwards. Well, now I'm torn because I love Shawshank Redemption. I've probably seen it like 30 times, but my current favorite is The Martian for many of the same reasons you've spoken about Shawshank. And I probably have watched it like five times and we even rented it last weekend. I see there are times slipping away. So let's do a quick wrap up round of final thoughts. So Mike, do you want to go first? Yeah, because there's no final thoughts. So maybe my final thought is that there's never a final thought. Um, as this is going to be my advice for companies and my advice for individual people, is as you are moving into this new way of working, when offices start to open up, you're starting to be in, you know, you're starting to have some intention of what work's going to look like. You're figuring that out. You're going to get it wrong and be gentle on yourself. You're absolutely going to get it wrong the first time. And I don't mean wrong as in there's a right or wrong way. What I mean is you're figuring out what's trying to work for you and your team. And you don't know what you don't know yet until you're in it. So be gentle on yourself. I think creating a, you know, um, an easy to follow but flexible set of guidelines to work within is going to be an important step. 
And the other step is to make sure that you have feedback loops internally so that as you forge ahead, you can make space to listen to each other, see what's working, see what isn't, and check in, you know, have a cadence of at least every three months to check in and make sure that managers are then sharing that information across teams. And then that should reflect the policy and the guidelines as you move forward. So you can rinse and repeat and get better over time. That's going to be your ticket to success. Great. Yeah, I love that. Uh, the other things that bubble up for me from this conversation is knowing who you are, the whole values and cultures. What do you believe? What are you trying to create? And also your vision, where are you going? And, you know, vision for me is always a directional thing, but allows fluidity on, on the journey. So that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is really, I, I think it comes down to knowing each other. What is it? I think it was Roosevelt that said, uh, before they, your folks um, will um, uh, uh, care to know, you have to, you have, they have to know you care. And, and I, I'm, I, I'm probably butchered it, but it was something along that line. It, but it is about knowing your people and 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 that creates that that pathway for dialogue, that pathway for connects, that pathway for learning and adapting. That visual love, the door is open, and it's it's a warm warmth to be able to have those discussions. It also allows forgiveness when you do make those mistakes. Um, you know, Covey talked about the trust bank, you know, years ago, and you know, building that trust through relationship is going to help you in the journey towards where we're going. I think my final thoughts as a person whose thoughts on remote work were not on my horizon and suddenly found myself in that situation like everyone else, my final thought is how important it is to be open about how it looks right now and how it's going to look in the future. And this is advice I'm giving to myself because I don't know what's next for me. So Mike, any shout outs to the people about what you're doing or what you want them to know? Yeah, so I continue to put out content on LinkedIn Learning. Um, if you are curious about just from a very foundational standpoint, how you operate in a remote environment, uh, I have a, a course on that. If you're looking how to create remote work policies, I've got a course on that. And if you're looking, you know, now that people have had some remote work experience, uh, I have that next level course of leveling up your remote team experience, which I think will add value to folks where we talk about inclusivity, uh, making sure all voices are heard. And then also, you know, how do we communicate the best we can, we can be so that we don't just, you know, sit on Zoom all day long and, you know, feel like all of our emotional energy has been drained at the end of the day. Awesome. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Important topic that we needed to talk about. So thanks. Yeah. Happy to be here. And if those out there want to connect with me on LinkedIn, you can find me there, Mike Gutman. So thanks to all our listeners. Uh, we have given a shout out to Columbus, but uh, I think today we're going to give a shout out to Brussels, Belgium. There's a really good group of listeners there. I don't know anybody there and I'm not sure if Greg does. And I don't know what language to speak to you guys. So I'm just going to talk English to you guys and say, Hey, Thanks for listening to us. So um, our website, www.talkingnotranting.com. Greg, do you have anything to shout out about? Uh, yeah, two things. Uh, one is my book, uh, In Search of Safe Brace Spaces, A Guide to Unlocking and Releasing Potential is coming out in three weeks on Amazon and everywhere else it can be out, which is kind of cool. And I also just this week launched a new podcast. Mike, I think I might have to give you a call to maybe participate in it. It is called Safe Brave Stories. And it's really just uh, having conversations with individuals and leaders who have discovered this, the power of creating safe, brave spaces. 
uh, and uh, to, to release and unlock the potential of individuals, teams, and their communities. So starting to really capture and share stories in that, which is, uh, uh, it's just on Spotify. It's going to be on all the other ones uh, probably within the next five days. So uh, just uh, those are my two things. Uh, excited to be a part of that journey. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us. Remember, people matter. Take the time with the people you work with. They're an important part of your job, your success, or your failure. Talk to you next time. Bye. Take care.